Hey, everybody, and welcome back to Second Cup. I am your host, Tim Heller. Before we jump in, I have two quick announcements. First, all episodes of Second Cup, including this one, are now up on YouTube. If you've been listening anywhere other than Spotify, then you've not been able to enjoy the full video experience of these incredible conversations. Head to YouTube and subscribe to Tim Heller Creative to stay up to date on all things Second Cup and voiceover and otherwise. The second item of business that we have is today we are introducing something a little bit different called Extra Cup. These episodes are going to be longer than what our usual 20 to 30 minute conversations are. I decided to do this for a couple of reasons. First being that I now have a little more space in my schedule to dedicate to the show. And second, that I want to allow space for conversations to grow and develop in whatever direction and duration that they may. The first guest for this Extra Cup series is my dear, dear friend, Johnny Brantley III. Johnny is a multi-hyphenate comedian and storyteller who uses multiple conventions to heal the heart and engage the mind. If you know Johnny, then you know the light he is to everyone around him. And if you don't yet, then get ready to fall in love. Instead of the normal pre-roll spiel about how you can support Second Cup for this episode, I would like to instead mention Johnny's GoFundMe that is currently active. Johnny has done so much for others, especially since moving to Los Angeles, and is now finally focusing in on himself. His GoFundMe supports the production of his one-person show, Kintsugi, and the book he's currently writing called Chicken Litmus Test. The link is in the bio for easy access and support. Woohoo! We have made it through all the pre-roll. All of this was important, and I sincerely thank you for listening to it all. Now, top off your beverage, get comfy, and enjoy this episode of Second Cup Extra Cup with Johnny Brantley III. Hot, hot tea. Oh my god. Um, how do I typically start the days? Um, I usually wake up at around five a.m. between five and five thirty, and then I go work out, go to the gym. I come back home. Um, I usually take a cold shower, and then I journal, meditate, pray do my visualizations and then I kind of start the day every now and then I might take a nap right after that. to just like, give me another spring. Cause I don't drink caffeine. So I have to like mm-hmm. come up with these little ways to kind of give my body the, the spritz. A 10 minute nap is like perfect. It'll just like, nice. it literally feels like an espresso shot. I'll be like, ah, um, and then I start, <laughs> and then I'll start today. Wow. So it's, it's really not a super involved routine. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, no, that it sounds, it sounds it amazing. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's how long have you been doing that for? And how did you, how did you kind of come to that? And, and what do you feel like that does for you to get you ready for the day? I feel like move, when I moved to LA is when I really adapted that schedule. Um, when I had, when I was working, like more of a nine to five job. Like I couldn't, cause mm-hmm. I would, it actually was a nine to five. It was like six to 11 PM at night. Like I couldn't really do that. Um, mm-hmm. But this is like my creative flow. This is what just puts me into a great mental headspace. Um, yeah. What was the second part of the question? Just what, it, like what it does for you to set you up for the day, which you kind of already answered. Yeah. It puts like in putting the, you into that creative headspace. Yeah. It like grounds me. It just reminds me that because my prayer and meditation is the time for me to be um, just reflective. And, you know, when I journal, like it's just a time for me to just spill everything. So it's just a deeply important ritual for me to feel 
at home within myself. And so then when I kind of do other things, it just fills me with joy, you know, preemptively fills me with joy. And yeah. working out, I don't necessarily – I do like working out. It, it does make me feel very good. It gives me energy. So I guess that's all I'm going to say about that. But there, there's a <laughs> there's a but. I just but. don't. I mean, yes, I don't. En- I do enjoy it. I just it's tedious. It's getting you know? there. Yeah. It's, it's you know like it's like ah uh, like ah. Uh. But what I do is I do like like feeling like I look great. Today I had a vein. I was like, am I being vain by like admiring myself in the mirror so much? I was like, this isn't even a true mirror. It's not even. <laughs> no, no, no. Showing what it is. You know, yes, absolutely, but also balance, right? Like, you know, <laughs> like loving myself and then like... Two minutes is fine. Two hours yeah, is maybe a little bit less. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, oh, this feels... I was like, huh. I feel like I can stop looking at myself now. Like, I feel like <laughs> if the mirror was a person, it'd be like, okay, you're good. You're good. Why have you been um, staring at me so long? Exactly, exactly. Um, but it was leg day and I was squatting in the mirror. So obviously I was like... Mm. Oh, yeah. Look at those cakes. Yeah, look at the cakes, <laughs> the quads. But yeah, so that's what it was giving. That's great. Well, thank you for taking the time to chat on uh, the first go around for me of this like extra cup format that we're trying out for the podcast. Of course. Um, and I love your mug. Can you tell our listeners what thank it says? Thank you. Uh, thank on you. There for uh, those who are not watching the video. Yes, it says "Black people, I love you." beautiful I love yeah blairisms uh where did you where did you get that for other people who may want to purchase said mug um i actually don't know like it just is like great in my sublet and i was like great it's mine now mine now drinking like it's mine (laughs) (laughs) no johnny i'd love to get yeah, it's it's a cute little mug. A good, it's a it's a beautiful little reminder. Thank um, you. I would love to get a quick intro from you about you, about who you are, what you do, how you got to where you are, and a um, little bit. I, I, just, I love your journey, and for those who don't know you or I, we've known each other for a while now, and mm-hmm. you're one of my dearest friends, mm-hmm. um, and one of those friends that we cannot talk for a while and then pick up and talk for three or four hours uh, mm-hmm. and just kind of pick up where we left off uh, and a very important person in my life. So mm-hmm. um, with, with that context, uh, take it away. Tell us a little bit about Johnny Lee Brantley III. Yes, middle name. Um, it's so interesting. I feel like this whole, um, I just did this editorial piece or I guess this editorial piece just got done on me uh, by Ooh. Voyage LA, which is exciting. And they, but when they ask, like, what do you do? Like, how do you, that's, it's giving, I don't know how to, um, basically. That's okay. I, we don't need to streamline. We've got time. This is, yeah, this is we and love it. also, we can touch on that. We'll, we'll touch on that again in a second. We I, love I it. Also, that. also, that was not a caveat or an apology. It was an explanation of the situation uh-huh. for the listeners. Just to let you all know, we're not apologizing for the multi hyphenates. We're just all learning how to, to put it out there. But anyway, so basically like what I represent, <laughs> I feel like um, it's giving philosophical comedian, it's giving actor, like my, my, my history is in musical theater um, and yeah. gospel and opera. Texas State. 
Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we both went to Texas State University for musical theater. I initially started out in opera. I grew up doing gospel. So I started out as a musician um, and kind of did low-key community theater, just like community theater work in like growing up. And then was in my first musical, Hair, in 2012. That's where I met Tim. Um, technically, I kind of saw, we kind of saw each other pre- pre then but you know we mm-hmm. kind of got really connected 2012 um and um yeah since then i've gone on to do uh, a couple of like major um musicals uh book of mormon and also beetlejuice on broadway which is my broadway debut really cool show um and then the pandemic hit kind of cut the run of the show down and I moved to Los Angeles to kind of figure out creatively what I wanted to do. Got into community work, stopped performing. Um, and then I recently decided to, after kind of spiritually understanding myself more and my perspective, came back to performing again. So now I am performing and I just had my debut um, solo show a few weeks ago. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. Kintsugi Aquiro's Journey was the name of it. I'm currently under construction. Um, I guess reconstruction, which is great. But um, but yeah, that's kind of where I'm at right now. That's awesome. And so yeah. a couple of things I'd love to touch on with, with that is I'd love to hear about how you decided to pivot in your career because um, – I remember seeing you, a lot of you, because you were living with Jess and I for leading up to uh, Beetlejuice and uh, how excited you were and how, how filled with light and, and and joy you were for the, the auditions you were going in for and uh, that Savian Glover experience that you had. And then, uh, mm, oh, the, yeah. um, and then, and then booking your Broadway debut and then, mm. What did what did that process look like? Because I remember you talking about some really beautiful realizations that you had about Broadway as as a whole, mm-hmm, as a business, mm-hmm. and and where you felt your place was or was not in the industry. And so th- I, I'd love that to be Act One, and then I'd mm-hmm, love to hear mm-hmm. the pivot into L.A. and what made you decide to want to perform again. Okay, 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 okay. I love these questions. Great questions. Oh my God, you're so great. <laughs> um, so uh, the first part of that question, which I, is um, my place in the industry, I, there was a there was a point. I think I was riding the wave, right? Like I was riding this wave that we had all sort of built since. Um, I first started doing musical theater. Like it was just a way that was carrying me into New York, carrying me into the industry, you know, Hamilton and like all these different shows and recognizing that the product that I had, and I think here's the thing about capitalism is like, there are certain products. Everyone thinks of themselves as a product. Quite literally, we were taught to think of ourselves as products, you know, how are we marketing ourselves? We are our business. We are our business. And so during that time of absolute abundance, you know, I think I had just come home from Book of Mormon. I was, you know, subletting, staying at people's places, like all this, that, and the other, just 
auditioning, auditioning, auditioning. Beetlejuice, at that time, I was going in for some exciting projects. Beetlejuice was the least of those projects for me. Beetlejuice was the mm. one that I was just like, no. Um, the show that I actually really wanted was Choir Boy, which was a play. I um, remember you going in for that. and Yeah. Yes. I, oh, my gosh. I really, I really wanted that show and was in finals for it. And just like mm-hmm. MCC, just like MTC, M- MTC. Um, I was just like, this is going to be a great show. Um, Terrell Alvin, Mc- Alvin McCraney was um, the writer of that uh, from Moonlight. And just like an amazing, mm-hmm. an amazing playwright. Jeremy Pope's big <sighs> Jeremy Pope's big launch, you know, along with um, Ain't Too Proud. The, yes, his that was one of the most impressive Broadway humans and tracks of Absolutely. Ever, ever to hit. Uh that was wild i forgot Uh, that he was doing both at the same time yeah he was like he he hopped right after because it was a limited run for that show that he hopped right into into it was amazing and so yeah i felt like i was very much so in this point of abundance you know um i had just done come from away as well that was a part of that little chunk as well and so Mm -hmm. it's like all of these um my product was selling you know, like it was in a, in a really cool way. And when I started Beetlejuice in DC, I honestly think that I was just very present. I was very present and able to enjoy so much of life then. I don't think I creatively, I don't think I was understanding that I was at a deficit because mm. I was the food that I was eating was food even though it wasn't a rotisserie chicken or you know my fruits and veggies it was like a really delicious bag of hot cheetos and (laughs) it was amazing and it tasted great for what it was and so when beetle just went to broadway and i started to kind of feel the temperature of the industry and the entity that i was going into i was very aware of the energy surrounding um, what a Broadway show is. Granted, Beetlejuice was, I was just thinking about this the other day, it was, it was amazing, it was hilarious, and I was so grateful yeah. to be in such a show and looking at some of the best comedic actors in the industry play every day with one another. Rob McClure, Carrie Butler, Alex Brightman, like some of the funniest people, uh, Leslie Kritzer, just like incredible individuals and learning so much from them. Um, I was in the, the ensemble of that show and I was dancing, which like, I'm a dancer, but they are dancer dancers. So I was like the mm-hmm. tallest guy having to dance. Like I was five, seven. Um, and that was, that was <laughs> difficult for me. Cause also like, because I'm a musician first and actor second, and then like a, at the time was what I was thinking. Like I'm a dancer last, like it was a big Mm -hmm. shift for me. And dancers often in shows, I think are used to fill the, the, the space between the show. Um, and so I felt like I was being used as a filler, but not necessarily cared about. Um, Mm. like my body was being, I was like, this hurts, this hurts, this hurts. And there was an Mm -hmm. energy of just continue to do it. 
And yeah. then when I started performing on Broadway, there was this whole kind of realization, revelation that I was performing for the upper echelon, like the upper class, you know, not seeing diversity in the audience, understanding that each of these tickets are 150 and yeah. up. That's, and I remember after your opening talking to you and I said, oh my God, like, how was it? What was that feeling? And the first thing you said was, it was fine, but I looked out and it was all white people and I didn't yeah. see me out there. And yeah. that was weird. It was, it was. And the same thing kind of happened for Book of Mormon too. But I think tour life is, that was my first show out of school. I was four months out of school when that show yeah. happened. And like, it was just like, and I had moved to New York in August of that year. And I was already starting rehearsals for an off-Broadway show, um, The Bad Years with Kerrigan and Loudermilk. And so it was just this like whirlwind, 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 whirlwind. That show was like ending. And right when that show ended, I was on tour. Mm -hmm. And like, it was just like a world. So I didn't recognize that first that show in itself it's problematic, you know, in the way that it interacts with blackness and the way that it um, operates with, you know, the African diaspora, um, Africans, Nigerians, Ugandans, like there's just so, the show in itself is inconsiderate, but it's performed for mainly white audiences that are laughing at these hyperbolic situations. I wasn't aware of that at the time. Um, but in Beetlejuice, just being, feeling, um, like, oh, I'm performing for the in the same house, in the same Broadway Winter Garden Theater every night and noticing that I'm feeling a bit out of place. And so I think that was the first time that I really was understanding that this is something's incongruent here. Something's not right. And then the Tonys happened and that Beetlejuice blew up after the Tonys and got really blew up on TikTok and that kind of like saved the show. Yeah. And so now we had like a hit on our hands and there was just, um, I wasn't a great employee because I, I had these realizations that I didn't want to be here. I didn't want to mm. do this show. I didn't, I don't like having to go here every day for six six days out of the week i just i don't like that yeah so um yeah when the pandemic happened i think like many of us who kind of had these awakenings and i had been in psychotherapy cognitive behavioral therapy um twice a week and just really asking myself you know, I upped the answer when the pandemic started. I was like, well, we're going to need to up this. This is pretty traumatic. <laughs> um, and I, w I was privileged in that way to be able to do that. And it kind of brought me to these realizations of self and just like understanding that I, when I thought about moving back to New York, because I went to Chicago to mm -hmm. um, live with my friend Jordan. And I stayed with her and her family and then her boyfriend and their family in Chicago. It was great. Like I love Aurora, love Crystal Lake, love all, you know, that kind of outskirts of Chicago. Suburbia. Energy. Yeah. Suburbia. Yeah. It was very nice. And, and I was also collecting the paycheck. So it was like, this is cute. Um, <laughs> and I remember there was a point when I was like, you know, I think I want to move to LA. I just watched Insecure. 
And I was like, I think I, I think I want to move to LA and ended up driving when I got back to New Cause I, when I thought about moving back to New York and resuming the kind of hustle and bustle, I, I was filled with anxiety. I was like, whoa, that's weird because right when the pandemic happened, I was also finding my artistic flow. I was composing yeah. with jazz composers. I was also at the William Esper school for acting, which was really changing my perspective as an actor. And yeah. I mean, you were taking all these steps to be really deliberate about your next steps so that yeah. even while you felt, I don't want it to be misconstrued that like when you say you were being like, you said that you felt like you were being a bad employee, didn't mean that you'd like turn yourself off. It was just like, okay, cool. This feels more like a day job. What can I do to, to put myself in a place to get where I want to be. And you, yeah. hit, I mean, you were, you were doing everything. Yeah. I, yeah. And it, it felt, it felt great. And, you know, it felt honestly like working at McDonald's and then like having all, but that McDonald's job being able to grant me all these other things financially. Mm -hmm. yeah. And yeah. So I was really starting to creatively find my way. And then the pandemic happened, then I recognized that I needed to move out west. And when people ask me, why are you moving out west? I'll be like, to create. Like, I need to find myself creatively. So I drove from New York. Um, I got my license in New York for the first time and rented a car and then drove to L.A. <laughs> and interestingly enough, when I first got here, my cousin, my dear cousin passed, Annika, she passed the day that I landed or the day that I mm -hmm. arrived here. And I started working on a composition for her, um, a symphonic piece. And that was the last of that creativity because that led me into, I kind of already was in the activist headspace because of the summer, George Floyd, yep. Breonna Taylor, Ahmaud Arbery, you know, the trifecta that kind of sparked the grand awakening of the world to the black yeah. experience. And so when I, you know, <laughs> it was, it was just interesting to come to, to LA to create, but then I all of a sudden just started being an activist and being a community worker and dove into that, created my own organization, had my own, like all of these things. Um, what was the name of your organization and, and it was, what you were doing? Yeah, it was uh, the Black Trans and Queer Collective. Um, so basically, it was a space geared towards healing, geared towards allowing Black trans and or queer individuals to imagine a life without oppression. So a lot mm -hmm. of the conversations that we would have, it, um, we met primarily online. Um, we did have an in-person event, and that was a trans remembrance vigil for trans and or queer individuals centered around trans people. Um, but yeah, it was just a way for us to have conversations like, what does love look like for us? Because so much mm -hmm. of the black trans and queer experience is limited because of survival. And so we aren't able to experience the nuance of like holding a hand in public, the safety of that. We aren't able to experience the nuance of being able to dream about a life with kids, with our families, you know, cause it's our, our experiences are rooted in my family will never accept my partner so we in order for us to feel comfortable we have to be alienated and so this space granted us um 
gave us the right to talk about that, talk about how that made us feel and to dream. So every week we'd have different topics. And that was really powerful work. And that is where the pivot happened. To see yeah. that work. Because I, I began to understand myself as a healer, someone mm-hmm. who is healing people through work. And that whatever work that I do needs to heal. So the first time that I performed since moving to L.A., was at a uh, BLM grassroots general meeting. And I performed, and there was just this sense of, like, healing. There were people crying. It was just like, okay, these are the people that need to be healed the most. I am a healer with my craft. And I don't think prior to then I understood that. I was a performer and an entertainer, but not a healer, like someone who is, that is my, you know, purpose is to heal through my craft. Yeah. And um, you have always yeah. been such a light for people who come it. across you and come into your orbit. And mm. and whether that is a, an energetic light or a grounding mm. light or an introspective light to make you mm. think about yourself and, and, and to make you think more. Um, mm. And so I, I'm so happy to hear that you, and was happy to hear at at the time when we were catching up about mm. you going to all of the meetings uh, and uh, gatherings and stuff like that, that you've found yourself as a healer and found that title for yourself. And yeah. I would love to dig into one thing that you said that just like totally grabbed my heart. <laughs> yeah. You said that your experience, your experiences or your love is limited by survival. And that I'd love to dig into that because that is so profound and something that for someone like me who is extremely privileged and born into privilege and, and, and all of that and walks through life with the most amount of privilege that I, and and for others who are similar to me or maybe are, are, are different and, and have, have just never heard that before and have not had to experience, um, a limitation of their stories being represented and told mm. by because of survival. Can we just, I just want to dig into that because that is, uh, it, it's, it's intense. And I, I love, I yeah. it's so beautifully put and so sad as well. Yeah. I see that. Thank you for, um, the awareness and the acknowledgement. I, I think that realization, cause I think it all, it all, it also ties back into, the work, my journey, this realization that we are taught as black trans and queer people to survive. We can't have the luxuries or that we can't have the filet mignons because we need our essential proteins, which is just the basic right to like, we're fighting for the access to basic water. We can't and it's, have and it's not the surviving juice. like like ha- like like thriving is for most people. Like most people, I feel like, and this is a broad generalization, and I own that, and I will be wrong about certain people's situations who are listening to this, and and that is okay. I'm not trying to be right about everybody here, but Good surviving is not just the. What I think of surviving is okay. We're living paycheck to paycheck, and but we're still like we have our basic needs met. It's it's actual survival, like life or death survival. Yeah, it's actual. It's actual, like, I, I will, I am in danger. 
Yeah. And so, so much of our, and when you live in relation to that experience of, okay, my actual life is on the line, everything else sort of dampens a sense, like you, you get accustomed to that level of protection. And so it hardens and we don't often, you know, um, get to experience those, the nuances and the subtleties of vulnerability because we have to protect ourselves. So a big part of my journey was understanding that, you know, what survival, how we as a collective are taught to survive and what my purpose is. And that led me to speaking like motivational speaking. Mm-hmm. Um, In what even capacities had, were you going out and speaking? Um, this was not only in terms of speaking life into the meetings, but almost like a, I guess, like a philosopher would share their thoughts. You know, I had, um, I, I went through a phase of just, wanting to share my words with audiences. So anytime I would have the opportunity to speak about something, I would take it and I would go and speak to a crowd at a, at a rally. And they would call me up as the kind of the talent and I would share my thoughts and my words. And that also led to the journey to my comedic journey as well. Um, because I think subconsciously I was putting the different elements of like what would be my form of storytelling together, which is healing, mm-hmm. which is song and like arts, like heart art. You know, it's also motivational speaking and philosophies and, you know, with social commentary. And so within my comedy, that's where the, the, the core of that was spirituality social commentary, scathing social commentary, making light. And, you know, it, it's interesting because I think the liberation, I also understood that I am not meant to live in, in, in an activist on the front line energy, uh, partially because my voice was leaving me. And this is like my gift. Can't yell. Physic- physically, um, your voice like was leaving. Physically, you. Not, I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I actually <laughs> I have can't, to sing and I can't right now. Yeah, I actually can't do what I'm best at. And it's still healing from all of the rallies that I would go to. But I understood, I think, that it is important to emphasize the most marginalized communities. It is also important, and I think this was a big part of my journey, too, because one of my closest family members, one of my best friends, started following a religion that was deeply oppressive, not only to themselves, but to me. And I was Mm. like, you believe something that actually, like, wants to erase me. And... Coming from 2020, you know, into 2021, there was a sense of fire and brimstone. Lost a lot mm-hmm. of friends. Um, a lot of relationships changed. And there was a... If you, if you mess up, then you're, then you're a racist. And you, and you have to fix this. You know, a lot of, a lot of fixings happening, a lot of, 
you know, accountability, a lot of blame in, in a way that I think was necessary for everyone to wake up. But in terms of intention and peace and love, I think it had to be so close to me that I couldn't avoid it. And that was with this family member. But I couldn't push it out. I was like, I love this person endlessly. How can I? Mm-hmm. I, I can't just nix them out of my life. So where, how do I, how do I find, like, who is this person to me now that they want to destroy me? And do I yeah. choose to hate them too, or do I choose to love? And I ultimately chose to love. And what that revealed to me is that everyone's, the, the deep spiritual, I think, mantra is that everyone is surviving. Like, we are all taught by capitalism, by white supremacy, by imperialism, by hegemony, by patriarchy. We're taught by these systems to survive. We are taught to live energetically from paycheck to paycheck. We are taught to, you know, and there's different, there's varying degrees of that survival, which is why I feel like there was such a pushback from people when they were asked to empathize with others, you know, because they themselves were surviving. And, you know, even when we think about the January 6th um, insurrection, insurrection, like, yeah. I, I, I was infuriated when it first happened, but now I realize that, like, victims are violent. Victims are violent, and there's varying degrees to victimization. And I feel like we all are victims to certain institutions and realizing that also informed my craft as well um Mm. so in terms of survival you know we all are tasked with seeing past survival because that's all we've been taught you know like even as artists right now like we are especially artists are taught there's quite literal survival job like that idea in itself Yeah, is like what we are all taught. This is my survival job to survive as opposed to like live, you know, like day job is a better term. It also is still under the umbrella of this is a survival job mentally for a lot of us. Yeah, yeah, Um, absolutely. And and it's do you feel like you've started to come into the phase of uh, this is something that I've just kind of looked at over the past several years of like pivoting out of not being able to do what I thought I was going to be able to do for the rest of my life. And and uh, experiencing different cultures around the world, but like that, what we're taught of that it is a gift. No matter you should take whatever you can because that is. I feel like that's it goes right into what you're saying that our art is a reflection of society and what is happening in the world. And I feel like that, especially in the arts, is take what you can get because you don't know if you'll ever get it again. Yeah, such a is is a is a trope that is changing now, and that that idea of a of a starving artist is bullshit, and that yeah. now we have the opportunity. Mo- so many people are taking that opportunity to now flip it into like, no, I'm gonna I'm going to thrive because yeah, it's not this is not the only thing that's out there, and that yeah. that while we are we are all a victim of something, more and more people are seeing that we also are the impetus for changing that yeah, system for sure for sure i feel like 
you know, uh, an experience that I had, I had just been offered The Outsiders. And it was a show that I was very excited about. I was supposed to live in Chicago, yep. um, potentially with your parents um, yeah. for yeah. that show. And it was, it's going to, it's going to still be a huge show. But I remember when it, before accepting it, I was going to say no. Yes. Oh, it. this is one of my favorite conversations that we had during this yeah. time is, is sorry. It's, it's yeah. You. I was going to say no to the show. I was like, I, I don't, I don't want, I don't think I, I don't know if I want to do this show. And I remember talking to, um, a mentor at the time and they were like you take the job take the job that's mm -hmm. offered who who do you think you are will smith take the job and i remember being like wow like there, there is a and i i only took it not because that person like got inside of my brain i'm sure maybe a bit of it did but it was mainly because I ultimately, after talking with my agents and my mom, and they were like, we actually think that this is a good step. But that thought complex, like, of take whatever you get because you might, you don't know, like, that's scarcity. We're taught, mm -hmm. we're taught that scarcity complex as artists, like, we can't say no to certain opportunities. And I, I just resonate a lot with what you said because it, and in that situation was brought up. Cause that's what it is. It's scarcity. We're taught. Mm -hmm. You take what you can get. We're taught. You can give what don't give, you know, too much because you will give up, you'll give too much away. And it's just this idea that, that, you know, I, I recently wrote something down. This is going in the book that I'm currently working on. Um, wow. Okay. And this book is called chicken litmus test, by the way. Um, but <laughs> it's this idea that like the, one of the greatest illusions that have been cast upon us is, I'm going to try, it's not going to be a direct quote, but essentially one of the greatest illusions that have been cast on us is this illusion that of water, common water, right? Like water is all around us. It's in the sky. It's a renewable resource. It is forever we are water we are 85 percent water but the illusion is that we go out and buy it right and i feel like it's we we actually have we are taught to go and buy purchase this thing that we're made of that's all around us and i feel like it's the same thing with happiness and joy mm. like joy and happiness is all around us. We are joy. We are happiness. But the illusion is that we have to buy it or we have to go out and get it. Mm -hmm. Earn and it from somebody else. Earn it, it from somebody from else. Someone or something exactly. else. Exactly. And I feel like that is a part of the scarcity that's been like literally like beaten into our brains. Yeah. Yeah. So mm -hmm. how do you feel like you have moved into more of an abundance mindset as opposed to the scarcity. And what does that look like for you? Because f so you called me last week and out of the blue, we hadn't, we haven't spoken in, um, in a minute. It's been mm -hmm. a couple months, I think. And, mm -hmm. uh, and you just said, 
I've been listening to what you're doing with your podcast. I've been looking at what you're posting, and I want you to know that I, you are doing what you're supposed to be doing and that this is a source of abundance for you and will continue to be. And that word abundance is something that can be tossed around. It's uh, the abundance gospel. It can be the prosperity. Mm-hmm. And, and what mm-hmm. does that look like to you as opposed to like, is it, is it that I'll just think about it and I attract it and it's mine or what, what is abundance look like to you and how do you approach staying in an abundance mindset as opposed to a scarcity mindset as, as a creative and as uh, an activist and as a, just as a beautiful human being? Yeah. What a great question. I feel like if anyone here is, if there's a word that I am associated with, from my community or by my community in LA, it would be the word abundance. I say it every day. It's just like a <laughs> saying. Actually, my friend um, Etienne, who is Cheryl Lee Ralph, who just won the Emmy or yeah, the Emmy for um, Abbott Elementary. Uh-huh. Um, she's the one that sang her speech. Her son, yes. Etienne, has a organization called Walk Good LA. And I use abundance so much that he literally like has a shirt that's been like inspired by me that has like abundance on it. And I, I do think that it is, I do think it is a mindset. And for me, abundance is also like so much is abundant. Love is abundance. Love is love is love is love is love. Like love, I think is one of the most, present things that we can have or occupy like love is absolute presence and it's and because of that it is abundant and i feel like love is all around us so therefore abundance is all around us and for me the big shift was taking my as an activist what that taught me, because I'm also letting go of that term, because I do think that there is an inherent activism okay. in my creativity now. Yeah. But what that journey taught me was that we hold the power. The people, we have the power. The industry, it is made of people. It is made of, like, we inherently hold so much um, in the way that we think about things. is so essential. Like, I think I'm learning the power of energy and how I am affecting you instantaneously from thousands of miles away. Like energy knows no time or space. And so, and because of that, like, I think I have grown to understand the power of intention, the power that we hold as people, these constructs live off of scarcity. It lives off of the idea that we lack it lives off of lack yeah that we will and we will run out of a resource of, exactly of love of security of presence and and you know more. and and most obviously money right like this currency yeah. of exchange and i think money lost its power for me because okay. so yeah. much of my ties were bound to financial necessity and scarcity complex. So Mm -hmm. much of the fear was that if I didn't have money, 
I would be erased. I was defined by my relationship to capitalism. Okay. And I feel like when I stopped allowing that to define me, not only did my creativity blossom and I started to be like, what do I want to create? But also my spirit like was like, this is life is to be enjoyed. Like yeah. that, that life is to be lived. That is abundance. Um, yeah. And not say necessarily. That, can you say that again? Just say that again, just to drive it home for people. Because life I, is I, to be selfishly, enjoyed. Yeah, yes. life is abundant. Like to live is an act of abundance. And I, I just feel like that is one of the greatest illusions that have been cast. Is that like we, that we are in lack. We're born into lack of, and so we can never. Like we're always mentally trying to play catch up, but it's just that it was for me, it was just like a mental switch. Now that's not to say that stuff doesn't get hard because these are deeply ingrained ideas to my subconscious. Like my subconscious is, is taught to suffer. It's taught to prepare, mm-hmm. especially the deeper our intersectionality goes with oppression, whether that be mental illness, whether that be race, whether that be um, sexual orientation, whether that be gender, whether that be economic status, whether that, you know, like there are so many different ways that we can all have a sense of intersectionality in particular with marginalized communities like black people. Like we, our subconscious is taught to, I mean, even, you know, I remember living in LA also has helped me a lot because there's a lot of spiritually grounded, liberated people here that are like, I'm more spiritual than religious, but I also believe in a deity, a God. I, mm-hmm. you know, believe in energy. I, Palo Santo, like, you know, all of that jazz. That is what inherently exists here. And I remember I was wa- wearing a shirt, walking in Lamert Park, which is like the black Mecca of LA, which is where I live. There's so much energy in Lamert Park. And I was, um, every weekend, the downtown area of Lamert Park has Africa Town. And it's just a bunch mm-hmm. of vendors that come every Sunday, Saturday or Sunday. It's amazing. And I was wearing a shirt that said, I can't breathe on it. And it was in honor of Breonna Taylor. And a, a, an older lady said, hey, 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 you come here. And I was like, she's trying to sell me. You know, she had all these shirts available. And she was like, you're speaking that into yourself. She said, your words, that word, I can't breathe. She was like, she was like, and I understand. She was like, I understand the, the concept behind it. I understand the purpose and the intention, but she said, those words, words are powerful. And you are speaking, I can't breathe by wearing it and representing that. Because the reality is you can. So you're lying. Wow. Did that make you just shit your pants? Yeah. It also <laughs> revealed, it also revealed an attachment to suffering. Okay. Like wow. we, okay. we have an attachment to the ways in which we have been oppressed. Yeah. No matter what that is, you know, whether I didn't get treated this way by my teacher, therefore I am this, my Broadway experience, I was traumatized. So this is now my trauma. There's a, there is an ownership of trauma that I think also has helped with my active liberation is like, yes, like I can breathe 
she couldn't breathe, he couldn't breathe, they couldn't breathe. And I honor them by breathing and by saying I can breathe and fighting so that others won't have that, you know, won't experience that. But learning to let go, you know, um, and a lot of that that releasing, releasing, releasing ego, like releasing my ego. That's what I also think now as well is just like the power of now, a new earth by Eckhart Tolle, beyond the gender binary by Lachvan Menon. Um, what else? Um, anything Brene Brown. Um, <laughs> just certain books that really, um, A Time on Two Crosses, um, A Journey with the Bayard Rustin. Chicken Test by Johnny Chicken Lee Brandon Test by Johnny Lee Brandon III, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. These books that help us, I think, tear ourselves away from the ego in our lived experience. And like so much of my journey was, okay, understanding that I am not my thoughts, but the space that my thoughts inhabit. Say it again. Say it again. I am not my thoughts, but the space that my thoughts inhabit. Like I am the, you know, Gary Zukoff, um, who's a spiritual teacher. He says, our sense of self, our sense of identity is but a spoonful of the ocean that is us. And when I understand that my soul is so much more vast than my perception of reality, that's when I think, I, you know, this is, okay, if anything, I have learned to not only trust in the unknown, but believe in the unknown, because that is where God lies. That is where the divine lies. It doesn't lie on earth with what we know. It lies in the galaxies beyond, like the universe is Mm. infinitely expansive, but infinitesimally minute all at the same time. There's so much I don't know. And scarcity has us cling to the no, but God, the divine love, abundance has us in the unknown and in the impossible. Like that's where I think for me was the big aha moment. Thank you, Oprah. Super Soul Sundays. But the big aha moment for me was like, oh my God, like I don't know. I don't know if what I'm saying is right. I don't know if what I believe is right. And I don't, I don't have to know. Like I can be wrong. I don't have to. And that also helped me let go of, I don't have to be this by 30. I don't have to be this by 34. I don't have to do this or do this or be this way or be Simba and Lion King. I was like, stop calling me in for Simba. I don't want to do it. Um, yeah, so that's, that was a very long winded and appreciate and appreciated because the abundance is, it was meant to be, but it was also very long winded. So thank you for making space. That's okay. Yeah. It's all things that I, one, one of my favorite things about our friendship is I always feel like I learn something from you and, or you make me think in different ways because I I can be very, you are very, very very good about going out and seeking out ways to, um, I don't know, improve yourself is the wrong, improve is the wrong word, Mm. but just to explore, to explore, uh, you and, and all the different parts of you and, and everything outside of that spoonful of your ego and who you think you are as your identity. Um, and to see the way that you have grown in, in the limited capacity that I have over the past Mm two years, almost three years now since the beginning of the pandemic. And, mm. um, 
has just been, it's so inspiring. And I, I encourage everybody who's listening to, to follow Johnny on TikTok to uh, just be, try to be even in the periphery of this sphere of brilliance that is Johnny Brantley, because it is light, it is love, it is questioning, it is creative, it is, uh, it'll, he'll make you laugh, he'll make you cry and, and really make you think. And it just, uh, I just so appreciate how open and honest you've always been, uh, with, with me and, uh, just, and, and my, the people closest to me. So, I love um, that. I would love to talk about how you found your light or that spark again to start creating again. You've recently blown up on TikTok. You've recently started, you produced your one man show and directed it and you started to focus on you again after focusing so hard on others and the community since you moved to LA. Mm. And I know a lot of other artists and actors and, and specifically theater people who have taken a pause and removed themselves from that auditioning grind, from that lifestyle of always having to be on and, and hustling towards the next gig, which there's nothing wrong with that. And the people who love that and get off on that, it's all the more power to you. You are a different yeah. breed of people and it's a beautiful breed of people, mm -hmm. but it's, I so admire those like yourself and like my wife, Jess, who have taken Jess, that yeah. intentional step back, <laughs> mm. who have taken that intentional step away to really say, hey, this is not serving me anymore. And it doesn't mean that it may not have its place in the future. But right now, I need something different to really nourish me instead of to just be eating Flaming Hot Cheetos all the time. So what, yeah. what made you want to get back in front of people and in that capacity and to perform again. And what do you feel like that looks like uh, in the near future and down the line? Yeah, I think the first part was understanding that I didn't ever intentional, intentionally leave. It was just, for me, it was what, what life led to. Cause I was, mm -hmm. I was always creating. It just was not, I think I was traumatized by not being seen about, about being seen when I didn't see myself, like being mm, okay. seen. Open that up. Open yeah. That it's up. like being seen by the industry and placed without actually seeing myself. And do you feel like you were being seen, like they saw you as the core of who you were or just they saw, saw the products the that you were selling? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. They, they saw and see many of us, all of us as the, the product. And I think mm -hmm. before, you know, we're so young, you know what I mean? Like coming out into the world and like being uh, it, I think one of the reasons why I stopped performing for so long and started investing in the sight of myself, understanding what colors can I even see? Like, I, like what, what paint, paintbrush am I using? Like what the colors can I paint with? Like I, the industry into by no fault of its own. It just is what I, we were all taught. You know, we're taught to be um, 
Pawns is a, is a little bit more aggressive than I want to say, but but we are. We're taught to be tools of the industry. To fit. Yeah, to fit. To fit. And to the show, like whatever show is required, like put on, take this off, take this on. And I was like, I'm tired of playing other people. I want to just like be when my agent and my poor agents like send me so much. I'm like, no, <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to play this person. I don't want to, you know, do do this or do this do, or do this. So when I decided to start performing, a big part of that was allowing myself to be seen as what I saw myself. Because those two never existed at the same time. It was always others seeing me and me not knowing what they're seeing and then me assuming that what they were telling me they were seeing was who I was and am. And then when I've, LA was a true mirror for me. Mm. You know, like I say that like New York, people ask me if I like New York or LA more. New York like made me an actor. LA like made me a creative, yeah. a creator. And they I feel like we all- their purposes and they're both different exactly. points in your life. And, and it's, you can still love them a lot, but differently. Exactly, exactly. And so when I, I I had developed a fear of being seen, I was so scared of being seen. Um, and one of my affirmations is um, I am inherently seen and I'm inherently loved. Mm. Because I think I subconsciously question that. Do they love what they see? Mm hmm. And the real question, the real answer is, I love what I see. Yeah. So therefore, oh, like, slaps. <laughs> right? Like, I love what I see. So therefore, I am inherently seen and I'm inherently loved. And now I am allowing myself to be seen. And so that looks like this solo show. It looks like... Um, succeeding and failing in, in, in incredible ways. I mean, the show went great. Some of my community showed up for me and kind of like I, like I told you, the show went great, but it also went shitty. Like it was, uh -huh. it was equally amazing, but in terms of like the experiment, like there was an element of goggles on black smolder all over me. Like, smoke everywhere like okay <laughs> going back to the lab and yeah you know experiencing the shame fighting the shame of like ooh, i just showed the people who i whose opinions i care about the most shitty work and then the gratitude of i'm i made something shitty i created something you that i it. felt yeah i did it and i have a community to show up and support shitty work like how val how invaluable is that? And so now, as I'm broadening and expanding and working on this book, and I'm officiating a wedding next week, Anna Uzela's wedding. Um, oh my gosh! Yeah, I'm officiating that. You know, I guess in a week and a half, and just like understanding the call to be a spiritual leader. Okay, what does that even look like? Great. Pause. Understanding. Okay, and now I want to be an author. Okay. I also have a solo show that's like a comedy special with music. It's like Bo Burnham meets Mr. Rogers meets Whoopi Goldberg meets Dave Chappelle. What is that even? 
Yeah. Um, and so and you I won't guess... know until you get up and, and just do it. Exactly. Exactly. Make it shitty. Um, Make it shitty first. So and that's what it's giving go. now. It's, it's like, um, boldly being seen, you know, that, and it's, and it's terrifying because so much of my, I'm having to understand that my self-worth can't be on the line every time I fail. Like it yeah. can't, it can't be on the line every time I create, it has to be inherent. And I think that that's the stamina of like creative liberation is like not being defined by its relationship to others or its relationship to capitalism or its relationship to anything other than its inherent sense of like good and yeah. worth and abundance. Mm. Mm -hmm. Full circle back mm -hmm. to abundance. Mm. Abundance is abundance. Mm. <laughs> mm. That's the next shirt. Abundance is abundance. Abundance is abundance. Look, cause that's the whole, and that's another thing, just like I I sense, because there will be people who see ideas, and I think that's the next phase, as I seek representation by people who, because you remember there was a time when I first moved here, and I was like, send me all the agents, all the, like, I'm, I'm like, and I yeah, was like, were... on that journey, and heard back from a couple, but nothing, nothing came from that, essentially. And it meant nothing to me. It meant nothing to me because subconsciously it probably meant something a little bit more. Uh, but in the moment, I was like, it meant nothing because I was like, I, it, I don't, this isn't what I want to do right now. This isn't, yeah. I don't want to, I'm not ready. I'm not ready. Um, and I thought, you know, I don't know if we talked about this, my Yale experience, but like I was no. planning on going to Yale this year to get my MFA from the drama department. And Holy shit. like you went through the auditions a, and everything whole, and, and did that yeah, whole process. Got, got the interview with, yeah, made it through everything prepared, like, and that entire process, it's just so funny how life reveals itself, how the divine, the great creator, God, the universe, whatever you believe just like happens. Cause I knew that that was going to be, that I was going to be in new Haven this like around this time and my additions went just so well the pieces that i crafted i remember when i was getting um coached on it they were like we don't think that you should do this because i ended up my opening piece was um a version of crazy the version of crazy that i do mixed with um mm. hamlet's uh first soliloquy and so Ooh. I would weave Ooh. in and out of this tutu solid flesh and it's a crazy. Yeah. So it was like something that like, I was like, this is something I want to do. I'm going to show them my work as a unconventional creator, mixing conventions, understanding who I am as an artist. And I want to change the game. I want to go to Yale, get better as an actor and do that. Like that's what I want to do. And they were all like, we don't think you should do that. We don't think you should do that. Um, and I was like, if I'm going to go to grad school, if I'm going to go to Yale, I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to go my, I'm going to do my creativity, which is why I came here. And so I end up getting, you know, we, the auditions happened in New York and I end up being with Dr. Tamala Woodard, who's the chair of the department. And I do, she asked me to do all four of my pieces and, you know, they call me back and I, they love it. I guess they, they, I make it all the way down to like the interview where they interview. Um, 
And that was amazing. And after I talked to the faculty, um, when they, after they interviewed me and it was about a what, 30 to maybe a 30 minute, 30, 40 minute interview. And Dr. Tamela Woodard, who's the person I wanted to see my work the most, she puts her glasses down and she's like, I don't think you need to be here. I don't think you need to go here. And I was like, huh? huh? She was like, I just, I don't think, and put very nice compliments and great things. She said, I just don't think you need this. Um, and I was like, so confused. Yeah, how did that. you receive that? And how is that, how is that digested since? It, it's digested great. In the moment, I was so confused and, and, and taken aback and honored that she didn't feel like I needed to go to Yale MFA School of Drama. Like, she was like, you don't need this. Like, this isn't. And I was like, what? And then I said, can you explain why? And then she explained. Um, and basically, um, I have everything I need. Abundance. And there abundance. That and presence. that was a, it was a matrix break for me because I thought that that's, that was the last thing that pushed me into performing again. It was a gift. It was a gift from, from the universe to just actually verbalize. You have everything you need. You mm -hmm. have it. Um, I feel like that but, was a gift from your inner wisdom for guiding mm -hmm. you to that point. It was a gift yeah. for, from you, from you for you, because you were the one who put yourself in that situation and, mm. and prepared and followed that inner voice to do what you felt called to do in that situation. Yeah. And I feel like I am not a philosopher. I'm not, uh, I don't consider myself a remarkably smart person, but it is, I feel that that just feels like that is your inner wisdom that you did that for you yeah. subconsciously. You guided yeah. yourself there. Mm, I received that. That's, That's beautiful, powerful. Johnny. Yeah, wow. it was. I, like, yeah, I did not hear that story. That is oh, yeah. like all around. That's amazing. Oh yeah, and I was like, I, and that being said, I did get into the program. Uh, and, I, and honestly, <laughs> in, the, in the moment, in the moment, I was like, I was like, amazing. But I didn't come to New York for nothing. You better let me in this motherfucking program. I don't know what you think this is. But you better let me in. Great. Amazing. But give me the option. Um, but yeah, yeah, let me say no. Let me let say me. no. Let me say no. Um, but it, it was that was a powerful moment for me. And it, it that was you're ready now. And that's when I started motivational speaking. That's when I started going to more open mics. That's when I started understanding myself as a storyteller and getting back into the work. And it was a, it was a, it was a, Yale, it's so funny. Yale is on my vision board, right? It was on my vision board to go to Yale, but it, it gave me exactly what I needed. It still did. Like it was on it my was vision board because it, it gave me that. Like it was, yep me going through the process and being interviewed and seeing her and them saying like, you don't need this. That was, yeah. that was my vision board experience. Like that is exactly 
what needed to happen. And then even performing now, I'm like, wow, I, I really wasn't meant to, to do that, to go to that program at all, because I need to be able to perfect this, this show and, and work on it and be in a relationship to audience. And I would have waited three years to do that. I would have waited mm -hmm. three years to do exactly what I'm doing now. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, it was just, it was, it was very powerful. And I also don't know if we talked about the rescue mission at all, but Mm -mm. Um, we did. Oh, uh, uh, well, maybe there was, there was basically through the through my organization, I was made aware of a situation happening in Nigeria. Yes, and, you did tell me about N, right? Yeah, at home. Um, and that's a that's a whole. I don't typically talk. I realize that I don't talk about it just because it, it was it's such a it was a life-changing experience. Um, yeah. I mean, I remember when you were going through all of that, that I, we, because that was, that was pretty close to when you moved to LA. That was shortly after you moved. Yeah. Right? Shortly right. after I moved. And um, it was, yeah. it seemed to take, I mean, it took over most of what you were doing and you took were, over, yeah. Yeah. And it's a beautiful story. So sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. You have told me about this, but please share with everybody listening. Cause it's, uh, if you feel comfortable sharing. And, yeah, and I do. Sharing. Yeah, I, I'm still learning, I think, discovering how to share that experience in a way that isn't, I tried to save someone's life. Look what I learned. You know? Um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like, I, yeah no, I'm, I do. Saying... I'm laughing because like, because <laughs> if you wrote it on paper, and like, it's like how to like describe a movie in the shittiest terms possible. Exactly. I found this person online and tried to save their life. <laughs> yeah, I take someone from Africa. <laughs> I'm a hero. Uh -huh. I saved someone that I never met I'm before. I'm a savior. From yeah. yeah, so yeah, that's what I'm still discovering that. But basically, um, I was made aware of a trans individual in um, Nigeria, and they were in danger of um sharia law existing over there being sharia law over there is if you are gay trans anything lgbtqia plus you are it's punishable for 14 years to life to prison and or stoning by death um and so i basically kind of made the decision that i would personally take on the rescue of this individual from that environment and that was a year and a half of my experience here. It, I've been here for two years as of September 13th. And I didn't stop that situation until June of this year. Um, and so a big part of that journey was, I guess I wasn't investing at, in me in a way. And, and I, but I was, but I was just, it was the work. It was the work. And so I was consistently having to build this plan because I don't know what the fuck, I don't know how to deal with Nigerian embassies, U.S. embassies, like any type of international relief. Yeah. I didn't know anything. So I was quite literally, and no one else does because turns out there's no resources to help. LGBTQIA2 plus individuals. Um, and that's not a surprise, I guess, but it's just, it was very frustrating because yeah. 
Um, and it actually caused me to have a bit of a mental, well, I wouldn't call it a breakdown, but I needed a break. It, I, it yeah. caused me to kind of crumble um, in March of 2021. And I was like, I can't do it by myself. So I formed a team and we kind of like collectively did it. And they kind of helped me out for a couple months. Um, and it was this remarkable situation that happened and we ended up getting her out and getting her to another country. And the, her first eight months there, I was attached to her, her being, you know, like us being able to text and just be like, dude, what do you need? I was still sending funds from the fundraiser and like navigating and yada, yada, yada. And also being with her side by side, you know, when she was traveling, deported twice from Cape Verde, had to travel across four countries. I'm, a, I'm, you know, up for a full, I didn't get a, any sleep that week during travel. Cause like I'm having to like check my phone because there's no service until she does pop up. So one that she's in another country, six hours later, she's in another country. Okay. You're okay. Thank God. Okay. You're like all of these things that happened. Um, and it taught me a lot about the necessity for trans people in this world taught me oh, about um, the trans experience is, I think, at the pinnacle of it, it is it is, I think, one of the most oppressed experiences, if not the most op oppressed experience. Um, and walking and through the black tech, you know, collective as well that I was running, um, li literally having meetings in the midst of the Yale audition process. I was like, my audition is tomorrow morning, but let's talk. Let's have this meeting. Let's, you know, like running thing. Like, yeah, yeah. Doo -doo -doo -doo. This is earlier this year. Um, but I think it is very, I guess I can only, it is very clear to me when someone doesn't have trans people in their lives. And I guess, and that's no, no shade to anybody who doesn't know anyone trans, because like we are what we're exposed to. But it feels like the trans people in my life feel like if we were in another reality and I got to meet unicorns. Like when you meet these magical, these beings of such divinity and such inherent sense of divinity, when that when you have the experiences that a lot of specifically black trans and or queer individuals have, there is a separation. There is a, I mean, that's why two-spirit individuals in certain indigenous tribes are seen as divine, right? Like there's... Mm -hmm. People Polynesian that hold, culture, it's yeah, very and, and, and granted, granted yeah. it's very different from two spirit and trans. It's very different, but the divinity is what I'm attuned to. Um, the complete breaking of a box. Trans is unknown, transient, right? Like transcendent, right? Like mm -hmm. that, and it feels like meeting and being informed and getting to know magical creatures 
that are so deeply misunderstood, but who inherently change the DNA makeup of me. It feels like when you know a trans person and when you are involved in any capacity in a healthy way with trans individuals, they, that's why I am an advocate and will always be an advocate. Um, the trans community helped me embrace my sense of he's they. Like, like the fact, that, you know, like my inner divinity, like it, I realized, oh, I don't actually care. I don't actually care um, what I'm called. But I guess it doesn't, there's a place of privilege that it doesn't matter to me uh, because I don't experience gender dysphoria. Um, but yeah, there's this, in the way that water, when a certain sound is played, that makes all the water molecules change. You know, like that's how it feels to be in consistent contact with the trans community and advocate for them and understand them and my own privilege as a black, queer, not gender non-conforming cis man. Like, what does that even, you know, like, what is for me to understand? And then, like, let's not even talk about the experience of, like, international trans individuals. Like, that's sort yeah, of what I was attuned with that additional privilege of, it, which is odd to call it a privilege, but that privilege of being an American yeah, yeah. Queer, cisgendered. Yeah, it's... yeah, and that's like you know to to that for my to be to have such a perspective on American life, and then also actively be fighting for s someone else's in another country, and then talking to activists out there, being like, we don't, they're like, we don't have resources, we don't have anything, and I'm like, well, what the hell am I supposed to do? Um, forging something, that is the unknown and the impossible. Like, I would have never thought that that would have been a part of my experience when I first moved here, but it was for the majority of it. And it wasn't until the last three months that I started investing back in my creativity again. And then there's all this abundance that's happening, which I'm excited for, you know, and there's, watch out, y'all, I'm coming. Um, kidding, <laughs> already here. But but yeah, like you know, I'm excited to now get back to the work because, and I think everybody has to have that version for themselves of just like separation from the matrix. Like has to, yeah, have has to like, you know, have you heard even of, with your uh, Saturn's return. Oh, sorry, yeah. go ahead. What were you saying? Yeah. Oh well, I was just gonna. Well, first, yes, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Um, baby, and baby, okay. But I was just gonna say, it's like even with your experience, you know, I think what was happening with you health-wise was a big matrix break, right? Like yeah. there was there was a new, a brand new perspective that was separate from the entity that happened, and I feel I felt a change in you spiritually. Um, there was a breakdown of everything. You know, of, and I think with that reconstruction, I mean, Beyonce had it right. We're in a renaissance. You yeah. know, we, I do I feel like I is... had another renaissance and another matrix break when I realized that I needed to be sober. And that was another, I feel like that was another huge clarity moment for me. Another Oof. matrix break of like, you said earlier um, about, um, 
Oh God, you said so many beautiful things, but it, something resonated with me that reminded me of the, of that moment of being like, Oh, I need to look at myself again and, mm. and be more honest. And what was, what were these moments that made me see what I needed mm. and that you really yeah. you cannot act on someone else else's behalf constantly. And that's what I yeah. was doing is, is in the industry and in college and, and my entire life was just focused on, on making other people happy and making other people mm. comfortable mm. and, and giving, 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 giving while also feeling like, and not, I'm not saying like, oh my God, I was just the most generous person in the world, but it was, it was, I was giving energy and I was, I was changing who I was and trying to be mm. like a very comfortable chameleon everywhere I was. And that part of that was drinking. And, mm. and that was one thing that I knew at the time last. So actually a year ago today, today is my one year anniversary of sobriety and it's, um, a year. <laughs> thank you. Wow. And so, but it was waking up a year ago today, still drunk that mm. I, that I had that aha moment of, I've been thinking about this for years, but mm. didn't have the courage to say. I want to stop. It was always going and trying to show other people that I was doing something to try to normalize it or, or that I could handle it, that I could drink like a normal person could quote unquote, whatever the hell normal is anymore. But, yeah. um, but that, that matrix break is necessary. And so the Saturn, mm. Saturn returns is what I mm. asked is if you knew what that is. And for yeah. our, our friends listening who don't know what that is, is it is part of astrology. And mm -hmm. it is um, this theory that every between the years of 27 and 29, you go through this or every 27 and 29 years of your life, you go through this massive shift. And so the first one happens between 27 and 29 for people. Some some folks have it happen earlier. My brother had it happen earlier in his life. Um, I am now on the other side of it. Uh, and then it happens again, like in your uh, mid to late fifties. And then again, if you're fortunate enough to live to your early eighties. So it's, mm. um, but it's these massive shifts and it could mean that you, you know, um, you get divorced, you have a child, you get sober. My dad got sober in the middle of his Saturn's return, uh, oh, which is wild. And I've got another friend who's a, a sober writer and sex writer in New York who got sober in her Saturn's return. And Interesting. And so seeing, knowing this, I, I, when I, as soon as I learned about it, I was like, I think I was 25 at the time. And so as soon as I heard about it, I couldn't wait to get there. And I was like, oh my God, what's going to happen? Oh my God, what's going to happen? Oh shit, what's going to happen? And then going through it, I feel like being able to go through it and recognizing that you're in it and knowing that it, this is going to feel crunchy for a, a minute. And having that foresight allows people to come out on the other side. I... Can you hear me? Can you hear me now? I can hear you. Absolutely. Okay, cool. Okay, great. But wow. So, okay. Please so continue. We just had, yeah, so we just had a, a small technical difficulty. Uh, Johnny got tired of what I was talking about. I had to get decided the, he the fuck out of here. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I was like, this is a, no, no, it was a phrase break. But it's, it's, I feel like, so all I was saying was that, I feel like that your all of this was in the heart of your Saturn's return. And I feel like you being present and knowing what it was and knowing that you just needed to figure out whatever came your way has allowed you to come out on this other side of being like, okay, I feel like the, uh, the, at least from my perspective of, of just listening to what you were, how you described all of these incredible events that have happened mm -hmm. uh, and that you've navigated 
is that that Yale experience, that audition was kind of God, the mm -hmm. universe, energy telling you, all right, now you're on the other side. Yeah, mm, it's time. Get ready. Because if you're present, if you're present and accountable for what's happening in that Saturn's return, you're going to come out like a butterfly. You're going to come out of that chrysalis and you're going to be a, a, a different mm. uh, enhanced version of you. Yeah. Uh, and, and for the folks that there's also the flip side of the coin that if you ignore it and you constantly are up again, and you're fighting against uh, or, or running away from what's happening in the middle of it, yeah. it can lead to a really, really tumultuous part of your life. Yeah. Um, wow. And it's something I, you know, like I believe in God. I, uh, I, I pray and, but I also believe that in that, in that, in that, in, in, in certain parts of astrology and personality and all of that stuff, I think there's, there's, it's all valid and it's all so much more rooted in, in, in human existence, like so much deeper than, than what anybody can really explain. But it's, if you hear this and you're going through your Saturn's return uh, or you, or know somebody who is, give yourself grace, give them grace and, and really allow yourself to be present uh, as, as much as you possibly can. Cause it's, it, you can you have the potential to to turn out like Johnny Brantley. Hey, hey, hey. You know it's it's interesting because I feel like in I think that this this might be something that I need to be held accountable for, just in in the way that I say it. So I just want to leave that open as I just speak freely. Yep. But I think that there is something so spiritually essential about like sobriety and, and in particular like the managing of addiction or like what whatever capacity that might be i i think that there is something there's a reason i went through a, a span of time i tend to be r romantically attracted to people who are who have gone through that process mm, of mm -hmm. it is something. And I think it's, it's a spiritual thing. It's a spiritual. And I was like, what is that? Cause I've had multiple instances where someone has been sober, um, about to be sober, but like, like actually going through the process, but like mainly, mainly a lot of mine have been like on the other side and without me even knowing, we just being like, what is that? And I think there's a, there's just a spiritual vulnerability. There's a breakdown of ego. Ego is yeah, it's love. a humility, and yeah. it's a knowing, and it's a knowing of self. It's admitting that you don't have control yes. over something, and knowing yeah. in that. And I think that surrender. Is, I think that's that... surrender. <laughs> oh, that's good. It's that the first step is is admitting that you don't have control. Oh. That and that's sexy. <laughs> it is. It is. It's All right, cool. folks. It's right. You heard him, Johnny after Surrender. dark, baby. Johnny's heart. Mm -hmm. Johnny after dark. Absolutely. Well, Johnny, I. Oh God, I love you so much, and love I you. just, uh, I miss you, miss seeing you in person, and I'm, I'm so grateful that you were able to take some time to talk to me today and that this much time, this mm -hmm. much of your time. I'll be in Austin at the um, end of this month, next month. 
Oh, oh shit. A okay, film well, festival. then I will be seeing you very soon. A film that um, I shot is going to the Austin Film Festival, which is dope. Oh my gosh. That's a conversation okay. another time. Industry stuff, there are things happening, but we'll talk about that another time. Okay. So, yeah. Well, um, uh, two quick things to kind of take us out here. Where can people find out more about what you're doing, your film coming up? And uh, how can they how can they keep up with you? Yeah, so you can keep up with me um, right now, currently on my Instagram um, and my Facebook page, like my actual like Johnny Brandon III Facebook page. I'm um, also my okay. website currently under reconstruction, but that is where you can go. But right now, my Instagram is probably the and my TikToks are probably the most um, active things. I'm actually. Okay. Um, Eventually, you all will be rerouted completely through uh, my website just because I think I'm actually about to get off of social media, um, oh, which is a, a big, okay. a big thing. Um, part two, but um, but yeah, I think that uh, those are the ways right now that you can you can contact me. You can always uh, send me something through my Facebook. Um, or through my Instagram or through my TikTok or through my website. Um, ask me questions. Um, yeah, awesome. I also have a GoFundMe. Oh, oh, I also have a GoFundMe yes. that I am um, raising funds for my upcoming shows. I'm going to be in New York for the next couple of months. So we're trying to just like, this is basically, um, this will fund the venues. Um, this will fund um, the creative time that it takes to form these shows. It will fund. Yeah. Um, the videographers, it will fund um, a lot of different things. Um, and in part, the book as well, Chicken Litmus Test, that I am currently working on. So, yeah, my GoFundMe awesome. is on my Instagram and also it is um, on my TikTok. Amazing. Mm -hmm. I will uh, I'll post all of the links to all of those in the description. They're in the description of this episode that you are listening to. Um, and the last thing to take us out is I have a couple quick fire questions for you. Let's do it right now. Uh, just one to two word answers. Just whatever comes what? to your top of mind first. Okay. Go for the okay. Okay. All right. What's a nickname that your parents used to call you? Trey. Trey. I knew that one. Okay. Uh, if you had a color to describe your personality, what would it be? Um, opal. Oh. Oh, that's a little bit of a, that's not a cheat. It's every color. I love it. Right? Opal like, is, like, I, I'll take it. Right. That is, it's accurate. That represents Johnny. Okay. Um, next question is, uh, who inspires you right now? Who inspires, Whoopi Goldberg. Whoopi Goldberg. Great. You can only have pizza one last time. Where from and what's on it? One last, oh, what's on it, bitch? Our pepperoni. Oh my god, because I'm currently like. I remember you vegetarian. coming home. <laughs> Do you remember when you would come home from the train in Astoria? And you were living with Jessica oh, a couple months I? leading up to Beetlejuice in D.C. It was always at, like, midnight. You'd be coming in. You'd kick off your shoes, throw on your Crocs, and you'd have the gallon jug of apple uh -huh. juice oh and, like, God. two pieces of artichoke pizza. Oh, my God. Like, Didn't you just say that you weren't going to do it? And you're like, I'm not going to talk about I'm it. You go into your okay. room. Okay. <laughs> Look, I had a problem. I was going to turn into an artichoke pizza because that, it was... Hey. If you can, if you can eat artichoke as often as you did and still look the way you did, you so like, stupid boy. I'd do that. You so stupid boy. Uh, but yeah, no, it was look pepperoni pizza from artichokes. 
easily. E or there was a real deep, good deep dish fish I had from Chicago. I don't remember what it was. It was a very famous place. They order them. You can order them in the boxes. You ordered one. Yep. Where's it from? Uh, I mean, Lou Malnati's. Lou Malnati's. Oh my yeah, god. That's my fave. It's the best. Wow. I'm just that. Yeah. Mm, yeah. So so yeah. So either artichokes pizza in, in New York or Illuminati's or. I'm Illuminati or Illuminati or Illuminati. Illuminati. Uh oh, blood sacrifice. Uh oh. Oh there great! Amazing <laughs> pepperoni soaked in human blood. Oh, uh, <laughs> we love it, Johnny. I love you. Thank you so much for for doing this again, and I look forward to seeing you at the Austin Film Festival. Love you too, soon. Buki. I'm gonna be there. I'm gonna be there soon. <laughs> um, we can talk about that. I'll call you or something. All right. Okay. Yeah. yeah All right. Love you. <laughs> Bye, y'all. Thank y'all for having love me. You. Okay. Tulu. Woo! First episode, Extra Cup, it is done. Thank you so much for listening to this episode with Johnny Brantley III. If you have any feedback on Extra Cup or suggestions, please comment on my Instagram page, TikTok, Facebook, YouTube, wherever you are consuming this. Uh, All feedback is much appreciated and welcomed. And uh, the only rule for feedback is don't be a dick. To stay up to date with Johnny Lee Brantley III, you can follow him on Instagram at B 3 and that is spelled J-O-H-N-N-Y-L-E-E-B-3. And on TikTok and Facebook, at Johnny Brantley III. J-O-H-N-N-Y-B-R-A-N-T-L-E-Y, Roman numeral three. If you'd like to support his GoFundMe, again, it is linked in the episode description, along with all social handles, so you can give it a peek if you feel called to do so. This show is recorded and produced by Tim Heller Creative, LLC. If you enjoyed this episode or any of the others, I invite you to show support in any of the following ways. First is by sharing episode links on social media and tagging at Tim Heller Creative. Second is by rating and leaving reviews in Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening and watching. Third is subscribing, liking, and commenting on YouTube. And finally, if you want to support financially, you can Venmo me at Tim Heller Creative or reach out via email to me at tim at timhellercreative.com to discuss sponsoring one or several episodes. All funds donated or sponsored for the show will be used to improve the show and provide the best experience for guests and listeners alike. Tune in next time for another incredible conversation and to hopefully learn something new from a really cool person. Bye.